So this is going to be another one of those episodes where I take an old Joe Rogan clip, well old but new to me, and respond to his guest views on religion. This one's dated October 19th, 2015, so about a half a year ago, and Joe's guest is Gavin McInnes. And if you're not familiar, uh, Gavin McInnes is a really interesting guy, shall we say, very controversial. He's an actor, comedian, journalist. He co-founded Vice, which is this kind of edgy alternative media outlet. He's also associated with Rebel Media and uh, people like Milo Yiannopoulos. I actually do think Gavin is sincere in his beliefs concerning political correctness and different social issues. But he's also a bit of a contrarian, and he seems to like to say things just to ruffle feathers or get a rise out of people. So it can often be hard to tell when he's joking or when he's being serious, which I personally find somewhat frustrating or tedious at times. He's one of those people that's kind of always on, as uh, comedians like to put it. But I'm not going to be criticizing his political or social views. This is a podcast for atheists, agnostics, and whoever, as the tagline goes. So I'm going to be specifically addressing his comments on religion. So let's get started. I like booze. I'm an alcoholic. <laughs> that's $40 a day. The babysitter's an and that's Are you $40 a day. Yeah. Definitely. Yep. How many days do you try to take off? I quit booze for Lent. I didn't have drinks on Thursday. Are you Catholic? I just became Catholic. I would grow up what? atheist. How old are you? 45. What the fuck's wrong with you? Why are you becoming Catholic now? I had kids. So at first blush, Gavin seems to be implying that he became Catholic for the sake of his kids, but I think it's actually a little different than that. As he'll explain in a little bit, he supposedly had this epiphany that there must be a God after looking at the bottom of his infant daughter's foot or something like that. Kind of reminds me how Christopher Hitchens used to talk about how the quote-unquote miracle of his own children, the folds and intricacies of their little ears, etc., also made him question his unbelief. But then he came to the realization that, as cute and amazing as his kids were to him, their anatomy still suffered from the flawed outcome of the evolutionary process. All those little examples of quote-unquote poor design that plague us all. Or maybe Hitchens thought um, the air was ugly and awkward-looking. I forget the uh, minutiae of the story. But then Gavin also mentions in passing that he grew up as an atheist. And I've noticed a trend where people who grew up in households without religion suddenly come to religion as adults and think it's this marvelous thing that gets unduly disparaged and criticized by mean old atheist bullies or Grinches. Another example is Francis Collins, a friend of the late great Christopher Hitchens, who actually headed up the Human Genome Project, a brilliant scientist who had a kind of godless upbringing. Then while hiking as an adult, as I've heard Sam Harris tell it, he falls to his knees in the dewy grass before a threefold waterfall that reminded him of the Trinity and whammo Christian. I've noticed, generally speaking, that atheists seem to come in two flavors, to uh, simplify it. There's people who grow up in secular homes never having believed in God. And then there's people like me who grew up in religious homes. I grew up Roman Catholic. And I think those of us who were indoctrinated as kids tend to have a better sense of just 
how destructive or damaging religion can sometimes be. Because we grew up with these beliefs stuffed down our craws, grew up with uh, the threat of hellfire hanging over our little heads like a sword of Damocles, I'm sure uh, religion seems much more shiny and benign when you embrace it as an adult. Perhaps there's something novel and appealing about it to those who grew up without it and are looking for something new to hang their uh, hats on. I'm not saying Gavin did this, but I wouldn't recommend joining a religion for the sake of the kids. I think it's a somewhat misguided motivation that might end up doing more harm than good. Try explaining hell to little Billy when he turns 10 or whatever. Well, we thought religion would be good for you. Or worse, try explaining to him when he's old enough to start sussing things out. That, hey, sorry for screwing with your head. Yeah, there might not actually be a god, but we thought religion might be good for you. Uh, but anyway, back to uh, Gavin and Joe. I was, I believed, I realized that there's something else going on. That's why I want there's everyone to have kids. something else going on? What, a cult of child kid fuckers? What's what's going on? Okay. I was raised Catholic. Oh, really? Yeah, I, I abandoned that shit when those I was are, eight. Those child fuckers are called gays. Yeah, they're called priests too, and they're they're the yeah. running the Catholic Church, by the way. Oh boy. <laughs> so I guess I disagree with both of them a little bit here. To be honest, I don't. As a former Catholic, I should probably know more about the church abuse scandal than I do. And also, I'm from the Boston area. And of course, the uh, movie Spotlight, that big movie which came out not long ago, has to do with the priest abuse, not the abuse of priests, but the pre-sex abuse scandal right here. So I'm really not sure about the age of the victims in most cases. And of course, this isn't just in the Boston area, and it's not just in the States. Sexual abuse of children in the Catholic Church is worldwide. It truly is epidemic. But Gavin says, you know, I won't use the same language, but those kid effers, <laughs> as he and Joe put it, are gays. Well, I'd say if you're someone who's attracted to children, you're not gay. You're a pedophile. Um, and I'm, I'm not sure what the average age of the victims are. I don't know if these are like crimes of opportunity and you have priests who are going after teenage boys, but ideally they'd be attracted to adult men. Uh, I'm sure there's female victims too. Okay, well, I found this site online called Bishop Accountability, actually bishop-accountability.org. And to be honest, I don't know when this uh, chart or this breakdown was created, but it gives some statistics regarding uh, alleged victims of uh, sexual abuse by Catholic priests. And I don't know if this encompasses all instances around the world or, you know, obviously reported instances, but saying that the majority of victims are male, which I, I don't think is a big surprise judging on all the stories we've heard over the years or, or the cases that have been in the media, about 80.9% male, 19.1% female, two cases of transsexual abuse victims. But when you figure it in mathematically, it's only, it's about 0.0% or something like that. Then this is really disturbing. It has a table of victims ages at first instance of abuse and it starts at one year, one year old victims. And it, there's four counts. 
And once again, I don't know what year this table was created and if the numbers have changed since then or whatever. And it goes all the way from one year of age to 17 years of age. The most common age looks to be about 12. 14% are about 12 years of age. 12.8% about 13. 13.2% about 14. Yeah, so 12. About the most common age of the victims. Okay, and it says... The majority of victims are males between the ages of 11 to 17, and just over half, 50.7% of all individuals who made allegations of abuse were between the ages of 11 through 14. Yeah, so it seems like it runs the gamut. I mean, if you're targeting prepubescent kids, you're a pedophile. If you're targeting young teenagers, you're still a pedophile. If your victim's 17 years of age... Then depending on local statutes or whatever, maybe the 17-year-old is considered an adult. Maybe they're considered a minor. I don't know. But like I said, um, if you have these priests that are kind of cloistered away and they're preying on teenage boys, are they pedophiles or are they gay men who are committing kind of crimes of opportunity? Maybe they're attracted to men but they're going after teenage boys because they're cloistered and that's what's around. But I think it's kind of dangerous or irresponsible to paint gays as pedophiles. And to be fair, the Gavin, I I'm, I'm certainly don't think he's saying all gays are pedophiles, but he's saying that these people committing acts of pedophilia in the church are gays. So he's kind of um, painting with this broad brush and to be honest, this is something I've wondered about before when you hear these stories of pedophilia in the news. Okay, if, if a grown man is abusing a little girl, do we call him a heterosexual pedophile or is he simply a pedophile? If a priest is abusing an underage boy, let's just say in this there's no doubt it's a kid. Let's say it's a, the kid's 11 or something. Is he a gay pedophile or is he just a pedophile? I think by definition, a pedophile is someone who's attracted to kids, not adults. But can we add a modifier based on the gender preference? I have no idea. I guess my issue with that was just, I think there's been tremendous leaps forward in recent years regarding gay and LGBT rights. And for a long time, Gays were labeled as perverts. They were stigmatized. Uh, people that were unsafe to leave your children around. So I want. I think we should be careful not to kind of reawaken any of the, those stereotypes by referring to or characterizing pedophiles as gays. Uh, my guess would be that the average gay person is interested in adults of the same sex, consenting adults, just like the average hetero is attracted to adults of the opposite sex, consenting adults. So there's just me trying to white knight for gay people a bit, I guess. Uh, the other problem I had, and here I'll white knight for Catholics a little, is when Joe says it's an institution run by kid effers. Well, I'll modify that a bit and say 
I don't think it's necessarily an institution run by, you know, kitty effers, but it's an institution run by people covering for kitty effers. If that's any better, (laughs) I don't know. I don't think the majority of priests are child molesters, but I do think there's a huge problem in the Catholic Church of organized cover-ups and of shuffling priests around instead of delivering them into the hands of justice. I mean, I think there are some high-profile cases of not just priests, but bishops and higher-ups abusing children as well. But generally speaking, I don't necessarily think the churches run by child molesters, but there does seem to be this systemic problem of the higher-ups trying to sweep this grotesque problem under the rug instead of doing everything in their power to seek justice for the victims. But anyway, once again, back to Joe and Gavin. Okay. You know about that, right? That kid fuckers run the Catholic Church? Yeah. Uh, I think there is a problem in the Catholic Church with pedophilia, and it comes from gays. A giant problem. Right. A massive problem. It literally is a cult of kid fuckers. If, you, if NASCAR had as many drivers <laughs> fucking kids, it would have been closed down in the 60s. Yeah. Well, the whole Middle East should be shut down. Well, I don't know about the whole Middle East, but uh, yeah, to be honest, there are a lot of Middle Eastern cultures where underage marriage, the marrying off of girls that we would still consider minors is, is considered acceptable. I was just looking at a table online See, Iran, uh, a girl can be married off as young as 13. Yemen, uh, as young as 15. And I wouldn't be surprised. I think I've heard that in some places it's even younger. And then uh, I remember hearing this story in the news recently about, man, do I feel weird like looking this stuff up on (laughs) on my computer. These Afghani like dancing or pleasure boys. I had to do a search. I found a Daily Mail article. Baka Bazi, dancing boys. This is dated January 2016. The secret shame of Afghanistan's Baka Baka Bazi dancing boys who are made to dress like little girls then abused by pedophiles. Baka Bazi, meaning boy play, is a tradition found across Afghanistan where boys dress as women and perform. But these boys, some as young as 10, are also sexually abused by the men, passed around after parties. The stigma of having been a Baka Barish sees the victims shunned by their families and society. However, owning more than one boy is seen as a display of both power and wealth among some Afghan warlords. So, uh, really disturbing stuff. So even if you might not like Gavin's delivery or whatever... You can't say he's wrong about a problem of uh, underage marriage and sexual abuse in the Middle East, and I'm not the type to go in for cultural relativity on these matters. Then let us not forget a certain prophet who had an underage bride. Aisha, was it? Prepubescent, I believe. When I was doing that recent episode on Islam and anti-Semitism, I was researching the life of the prophet Muhammad, and I found that there, there was some Muslim apologists out there, uh, you know, Muslim scholars, who tried to find ways to up her age to an, an acceptable point, you know, trying to place her 
in her mid to late teen years or something. But generally speaking, I think it's thought that Aisha was um, quite underage. And this is from Wikipedia. Yeah, yeah, Wikipedia layoff. The majority of traditional Hadith sources state that Aisha or Aisha was married to Muhammad at the age of six or seven, but she stayed in her parents' home until the age of nine or ten, according to Ibn Hisham, when the marriage was consummated with Muhammad, then 53. Why do people defend religion again? Uh, this was supposed to be a fun episode, and it's quickly turning into kind of a downer. It's like the religious underage sexual exploitation extravaganza episode. But once again, you guessed it, back to Joe and Gavin. Yeah, but you're joining in on this. Why are you joining in? Why are you giving them money? You, when they pass the tray around, do you throw 20 bucks in there thinking, I hope this goes to kid fuckers? Uh, no. But to be totally frank, I realized there, that there is a God. Oh, do tell. And Catholicism was the nearest thing to grab. I you mean, I could have been Amish. there's a God. Um, how did you realize this? Uh, well, first of all, I think that religion should be a little more private. Like my wife, I don't know what her religion is. Well, she it's very convenient when people want to talk about religion and say religion should be private because then they don't have to defend ridiculous ideas. <laughs> Thank you. Joe, brilliantly put, I love how super brazen Gavin McInnes, who will talk about just about anything, suddenly gets sheepish when you corner him on religion and ask him for some fucking evidence. Pardon my French, but I've seen this attitude assumed by religious people before, and it drives me nuts. You had no problem bringing up your Catholicism. But once Joe asks, you know, cuts through your BS and asks for some real evidence, all of a sudden, religion's a private matter. And don't get me wrong, if you're a private citizen, you know, you're decent to other people, you don't try to push your ideas on others, um, you don't pry into the lives of others, and you want to keep your religious beliefs private, that is absolutely fine. I can probably even respect that. But sometimes it's just funny when certain people all of a sudden cry foul and say religion should be a private matter. Whether it be someone like a Gavin McInnes who will, like I said, talk about anything under the sun in a really brazen in-your-face way. Uh, or whether it's some Bible-thumping politician. All of a sudden, when you start making sense and you really corner them and ask for some evidence, suddenly it's a private matter. I mean, hey, it's a free country. You don't have to say anything you don't want to say. But as Joe put it, isn't it convenient? Because okay. re religion is a ridiculous right. idea. I'll bite. I'll An bite. ancient, but, but ridiculous just, idea that makes no sense no whatsoever. One ever, like my wife's American Indian, right? No one ever Native talks. Native American, sir. Yes. You mean indigenous. No, they, indigenous she's an Indian. This. Feather, not die. <laughs> and I don't know what her fucking religion is. She never talks about it. If she's someone dies, pagan. they do fucking shrooms and sit in a teepee for three days. That's my but kind of religion. Actually, that does sound pretty cool. Doesn't talk about it, and no one ever criticizes. Like with Indians, you can't go in a teepee if you're menstruating, right? No one ever talks about that. They're because they don't want the bears to come in and kill everybody else. <laughs> they don't have to justify their their spirituality, but for some reason, Christianity is is like on the chopping block every day. What about this on page three? I don't understand it. Well, in the spirit of intellectual honesty, I'm actually going to agree with Gavin a little. I, I think there is a little bit of hypocrisy in that regard, where we tend to, and I'm guilty of this, absolutely, we tend to romanticize other religions or spiritual 
traditions. And I myself am very fond of Native American culture and their spiritual beliefs, their mythology. I don't know if it's considered offensive to deem their beliefs mythology. I even find myself strangely attracted to the belief and the art of groups like the Aztecs, which used to literally cut the hearts out of living victims. And of course we know there's, and I've complained about this, there's this PC thing going on right now where it's still fine in certain circles among progressives or whatever to have a field day bashing Christianity. But if you go after Islam, you're a bigot, you're a racist, even though Islam isn't a race. So I think there is something to that. I think part of the reason might be, and it doesn't necessarily justify it or mean it's fair, but we live in a Judeo-Christian society. And if you have someone like me who was raised Christian, specifically Catholic, I'm probably going to feel a lot more comfortable tearing apart and criticizing the religion I was brought up in because I feel like I have maybe have personal experience with it and, and I've earned the right to. Where the spiritual traditions of minority groups don't really seem to be infringing on me at all. And I kind of have this romanticized view of them. And not just necessarily minority groups, but foreign kind of exotic religions and traditions as well. I've expressed my affection for Eastern religion, philosophy, multiple times on the show, specifically Buddhism, Jainism also. Um, I'm even fond of Zoroastrianism. I've talked about my fascination with the Yazidis, uh, etc. So yeah, I think that there may very well be some hypocrisy there. Just trying to keep it real, you know? Well, why do because, we have to defend Because every... there's a, a book. You just said it yourself. You don't know what they believe in. Yeah, they the don't even Torah have it doesn't get this kind, of, this kind of interrogation. The Quran well, the doesn't get the, this kind of interrogation. The Torah is not... You are full of shit, good sir. Uh, most of us who criticize Christianity, we not only criticize the New Testament, but we usually especially criticize the Old Testament as well, which is essentially the Hebrew Bible. Uh, we often point to the barbarism and the violence in it, um, Moses versus the Amalekites and the Midianites, the violence in the book of Joshua, the archaic rules about killing adulterers, um, not suffering a witch to live. Um, it is true that I think often the Jewish people are kind of um, treated with a sense of reverence or handled with kid gloves. And I personally think that's a good thing, especially in light of all the Jewish people have been through throughout history, the different diasporas, pogroms, of course, the modern nightmare of the Holocaust. But most of us atheists and agnostics, critics of religion, we totally take the gloves off when it comes to the Old Testament or the Hebrew Bible. Uh, and as far as the Quran goes, like I was just alluding to, there are some super PC people who think that Islam is supposed to be off limits, but there's many of us who try to tear Islam a new one too, to put it crudely. I myself just did a whole episode on Islam and anti-Semitism. I also did a whole episode dedicated to uh, a, a particular surah. And so I don't make the same mistake. Yeah, I know a surah is a chapter, but I'll often refer to it as a surah if I'm referring to the specific chapter and verse. But the one about um, 
that nicey nice one about how if you kill one person, it's as if you kill all of humanity. If you save one person, it's as if you save all of humanity. And I pointed out how if you read the following lines, actually the, the verses right before and after, when you put in context, not so nice. Not filled with things that w you would say are magic. What 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 is magic yes, in is. the Torah? Eh, sorry, Joe. The Torah or Hebrew Bible, the first five books of Moses, is chock full of magic. I mean, Jesus, man, no pun intended. Uh, Genesis is the first book of the Pentateuch, or you know, the first five books of Moses, the Torah. That's got. All sorts of supernatural stuff. God creating everything. God causing the flood. Uh, angels. Of course, Exodus. We have the biblical plagues. The parting of the Red Sea. So, chock full O oh, magic. Score one for Gavin. I'm a huge fan of Joe Rogan, uh, but... Let's try to keep it real. What the magic? fuck? The Torah's, Torah's just a Jew Bible. But what's? But they don't. They don't believe that Jesus walked on water or came back from the dead. Or JC's the New Testament. But like I said, Old Testament man got just as much magic in it. We got talking donkeys and everything, and a talking snake, of course. Or healed sick. I'm not that well versed with the Torah, but I assume as a religious tract it's full of whimsical uh, superhero-y sounding stuff well, you have to be able to defend Isn't that. moses in the torah that was magic he split the sea well i don't know if that the the parting of the sea was in the torah stupid dummy it's an exodus what the fuck was that yeah, well, the, the, the thing about Moses, five books to explain you know what's that? fascinating, because it kind of brings it all full circle, the mainstream Jerusalem scholars now believe that Moses was on drugs. They believe that Moses was, in do, it was taking psychedelic drugs, and that's what the whole burning bush was. The burning bush represents the acacia bush. I have no idea if that's true. I just quickly try to do some research, and I guess um, the acacia is mentioned a lot in the Bible. And I was reading that supposedly DMT, probably the world's most potent hallucinogen, can somehow be extracted from acacia. Whether or not scholars really think Moses was tripping or whether Moses was even a real person, I don't know. Which is a very common plant in that area, and uh, it's rich with DMT. So ah. they think that the burning bush was them smoking DMT. Wow. Which is a, a, the most potent psychedelic drug known to man. And it also gives you all of these experiences where you feel like you're in contact with some sort of a higher power. So they think well, that that's think what was going my on. My use of hallucinogenics also helped uh, get me here uh, in my teenage years. But uh, yeah, it was, but why was, did you join the Catholic Church? Uh, it was the nearest one. I, I, I like the Knights of Columbus. I joined the Knights of Columbus. I'm a third degree <laughs> knight. Uh, but what made me really. Uh, believe in a deity and I I don't know why I'm telling this but I was coming home once and my kid was in her crib my first kid and I was looking at her heel and you know a little baby's heel mm -hmm. and I'm like that thing fucking works there's a bone there there's the tissue it's got padded tissue below the bone and I'd always suspected there was a god deep down and then I just it sort of washed over me and I went Oh, I get it now. The Big Bang was some sort of omnipotent force that created the first domino, and that domino fell, 
and everything followed after that. So the dodo bird, it's not like God went and killed the dodo bird. He set up this almost like that movie where the dude drinks the drink and turns into sand and goes into the waterfall. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, fuck, the, uh, the prequel to Alien. Yes. What the hell is that? Prometheus, Prometheus. almost you. like the beginning of Prometheus. They, that massive, incredibly <clears throat> complex domino was set off, boom, with the Big Bang, and that made my daughter's heel. Wow, that's convenient thinking. You know, <laughs> I'm actually going to sympathize with Gavin here a little. I, I think, that, and this is a really weird thing for an atheist to say, but I think it's uh, there's almost a certain logic to looking at the fact that there's something instead of nothing and looking at something that on the surface seems very miraculous, uh, like the complexity of the human body. And think and coming to a conclusion that there there must be something out out there. There must be some kind of in, intelligence or force that brought it all into being. I don't think that's all that outrageous. But of course, then when you look at what we know about evolution, we can see how through a simple process like natural selection, we can end up with breathtaking complexity um without the need to posit a creator and like i talked about recently on the show i did that episode about why i don't believe in god and the one thing i said for me that maybe gave me pause not the fine-tuned universe argument or the fine-tuning argument but the fact that there's anything in instead of nothing you know that's something that um science is still wrestling with but I think it's a pretty big leap to look at the complexity of the human body and say, especially in light of what we know about evolution, and say there must be a deity. And I think it's even a bigger leap to claim you know which specific deity it is or which religion is the right religion. Yeah, but to some degree, I can, I can sympathize with someone who looks at the wonder of existence and comes to the conclusion that maybe there is or could have been something that brought all of that into being. I myself, of course, am uh, technically an agnostic atheist. Once again, agnostic because I, I believe we can't definitively prove empirically whether there is or isn't a God. But I'm atheistic because I strongly doubt the existence of a God or an afterlife. And even if you want to, given to the temptation of believing that maybe there's a higher power, still leaves a lot of questions unanswered. What is the nature of this higher power? Is it a personal or impersonal God? And um, you know, just because, let's say for the sake of argument, there was a higher power, that still doesn't necessarily mean there's an afterlife, which is one of the key reasons why I think people like to believe in a higher power. They want to believe that they're not just finite beings that are going to, you know, grow old and die and all was vanity or for naught. People want to believe that there's some greater purpose or that we live on after death. If you think about it, the Hebrew Bible doesn't have a hell of a lot to say about an afterlife. That pun not intended either. And I think Hitchens used to talk about all the possible, you know, permutations. You could have a God and no afterlife. You could have an afterlife and no God. You could have many gods. Uh, you could have an evil God. Uh, who knows? It's just all speculation. It's all mankind groping in the dark. 
it's, it seems like a guy who calls out bullshit all the time, but then just buys the into that. Like, it's not about evolution. It's not about random mutations. No, evolution is God. Successful. Okay. Evolution is God. Well, you when you say God, though, do you mean like a guy who created everything, like a specific that's, individual? That's our shitty little teeny brains trying mm -hmm. to wrap our minds around this incredible thing. Here, I'll prove to okay. you God exists. Okay. But don't you think that Catholicism represents our shitty little brains that create these ridiculous It's our pathetic attempt to grasp the infinite. Right, but why join into that? Like, why become a part of a Because I'm in awe of life. So I agree with Gavin a bit, and I think Joe probably would too, that our kind of uh, primate brains <laughs> probably aren't really designed or evolved to understand the deepest mysteries of the cosmos. So I think even Gavin there is kind of admitting that we're, we're groping in the dark and religion, in a way, is our attempt of trying to make sense of the mystery and awe of life. Uh, but then I think Joe makes a great point, you know, but then why join a man-made religion with this kind of limited set of symbols and metaphors, etc.? And this is something I'm torn on. People who take a figurative approach to religion, on the one hand, dealing with these people is kind of a relief. You know, it's, it's somewhat refreshing dealing with someone who admittedly takes a figurative approach to religion than dealing with someone who's a biblical literalist and just tries to pretend that the biblical contradictions aren't there or who literally believes in all of you know the miracles in the bible a person who takes a figure of approach is refreshing and open-minded in comparison but what i don't like about the people who take a figure of approach is that obviously most people although they uh, many people have a kind of cafeteria catholic approach where they they ignore the bits they don't care for and they emphasize the positive bits that give them comfort. But at the end of the day, they probably still literally believe that Jesus rose from the dead, walked on water. Um, they may very well literally believe in the Old Testament miracles, etc. So there seems something kind of odd or off to me about someone who takes a figure of approach to religion, embracing a belief system that many interpret literally, including, I would say, uh, Gavin goes to a Catholic church. He might have this high-minded kind of figure of approach, but I imagine the people flanking him uh, in the church may very well believe in all that same stuff literally, uh, maybe or maybe not, the person behind the pulpit as well. And then in a sense, I'm kind of like, why bother? I mean, I get a lot of comfort and draw a lot of inspiration from religious stories and religious symbols. So I understand why people would turn to these old stories for comfort and inspiration. And yet, since I don't believe in them literally, it, it seems like a waste of my time to join an organized religion or to limit yourself to one man-made belief system, especially when it comes along with all these Val Schultz, etc. You know, maybe they get a sense of community out of it or whatever. I, I don't know. 
if it works for you, I mean, once again, free country, go for it. I just, it seems very odd to me. Um, there's something almost strangely perverse about someone who isn't an actual believer um, embracing a man-made religion that others do believe in literally just for, I don't know, what, whatever reason. I think all of us maybe feel that pull, or most of us, uh, if we have a functioning brain, feel that pull towards the transcendent to the ineffable, you know, um, for me, I like all sorts of music, you know, uh, heavy music, folk music. Uh, I like a lot of classical music, a lot of world music. I even like a lot of ancient music. Um, you know, the supposed, and I say supposed cause who knows what the music actually sounded like, even though we can use, you know, replicas of those ancient instruments and surviving, I guess I'd call for, uh, lack of a better word, ancient sheet music, whatever. But, you know, the the music of the ancient world, music from uh, ancient Greece and Rome, I, I like stuff like that. I like um, Gregorian chant and polyphony. Sometimes I'll drive in my car and maybe there's something about the landscape. Maybe it's a beautiful spring day. Maybe the sun is hitting me just right and elevating my mood. Maybe there's crystalline flakes of snow wafting down from the heavens. And I'll listen to this transporting music. You know, it could be uh, music from the Middle Ages. It could be music from ancient Rome or Greece. And I'll really feel this kind of spiritual ecstasy. You know, I'll, it'll really take me into this transcendent space. But to me, I don't think that I'm literally transcending in some supernatural or divine sense. I think I'm, I'm most likely just transcending my normal mode of consciousness. I think all this is happening in the brain. There's a neurochemical explanation. I know that's not the more romantic way to look at it. The more romantic way would be to say you're having a genuine spiritual experience. But I think everything we know about the brain and neurochemistry, etc., there's no reason to assume that these experiences are divine or supernatural in nature. So I think these are just neurological experiences or, you know, different chemical states or whatever. It's just like eating a handful of mushrooms or dropping some ecstasy can <laughs> suddenly make you feel like um, you're experiencing heaven on earth or, or that you're experiencing some kind of grand epiphany. Um, but we all know, obviously, we're having this experience because we ingested chemicals. Just like a runner's high, an orgasm, or a couple of good stiff drinks can uh, put you in a better mood or, or cause you to transcend from one state of consciousness to another doesn't mean that there's um, some divine explanation. We know that basically there's a chemical explanation. So I guess in a way for me, like, I guess everyone's different though. For me, I just can't wrap my head around why someone who doesn't believe would join a church. I guess for me, I can get those quote unquote holy or religious experiences through poetry, through music, through art and landscape. Uh, trying to seek out those things by sitting in a stuffy old church listening to some guy read from a man-made, not just man-made physically, but 
man-made conceptually a man-made book. It just doesn't really do it for me. It doesn't make a lot of sense. I think at the very beginning of that part, Gavin said in answer to Joe that he joined Catholicism because he's in awe of life. And I would say if you're in awe of life, but you believe religions are man-made, they just seek out all different ways to embrace and enjoy that awe. You know, don't restrict yourself to one man-made religion. And one last quick note on this figurative versus literal interpretation of religion. I know I maybe I made it sound too simple that there's people who believe literally, then there's people who take it figuratively. Uh, I, I know it can often be messier than that. If just like I was talking about on that episode I recently did, why I don't believe in God, I talked about one of my favorite biblical scholars, former priest named Dominic Crossan, who, like many uh, mainstream biblical scholars, theologians, believes that the Gospels were written intentionally in a figure of way to some extent. There's a lot of implementation of literary device, etc. I mean, I, I imagine that the Gospel writers still believed literally in the resurrection, or else why were they bothering? You know what I mean? But they didn't have anything against using literary device and figurative language, such as John having Jesus die on a different day than in the synoptics to kind of paint Jesus as the Paschal Lamb, or the way that the Holy Family's flight from Herod represents or mirrors the plight of the infant Moses escaping the decree of Pharaoh, etc., and there's another biblical scholar I like named Shelby Spong, who's actually a bishop, who another person takes a really figurative approach to the Gospels. So it might not have been the case that the people actually writing many of these biblical texts themselves intended them to be taken 100% literally. And of course, we can go back as early as St. Augustine, this revered church father, this, well, saint, who was openly saying that he thought the use of the word day in regard to the days of creation. He didn't think they were meant to be taken literally as 24-hour periods. So what should be taken figuratively? What should be taken literally? Uh, I mean, it's, it's a pretty messy subject. But I think the argument over how much of these texts should be taken literally or figuratively aside, Christians for a very, very long time have been taking this stuff literally, especially the resurrection and divinity of Christ. So in that sense, I do think it's kind of weird to, if you're not a literal believer, to join a group comprised predominantly of literal believers, at least when it comes to things like the resurrection, etc. Because, I mean, damn, you get rid of that, that one last miracle, you get rid of the resurrection, and there goes your linchpin, and you have nothing to hang your hat on, uh, which would maybe put you in Gavin's place. I get, you know, why, if you don't literally believe in at least the core tenets, why even bother? Why li limit yourself to one particular stuffy old belief system? But I think in a minute, Gavin's actually going to talk about how he finds the Latin Mass 
you know, or, or you know, the singing in Latin or whatever, moving or transcendent. As do I. I actually have a, a lot of the music on my my used to be my iPod. Now it's my iPhone or my iPad. Uh, a lot of my music collection is is religious in nature. Not cheesy modern Christian rock, but a lot of, uh, like I said, chant, polyphony, and stuff like that. And I think, in a way, the fact that, at least speaking for myself, that we don't understand the words, I don't speak much Latin. I learned a little bit when I was younger. The fact that I don't understand it adds to the mystery, which is an odd thing for me, because as a singer and a lyricist myself, I actually... uh, one of the first things I pay attention to when listening to modern music is the lyrics. Um, but when it comes to that ancient music that I listen to, to, to get into that kind of transcendent quote unquote space, it's kind of cool that I don't understand what they're actually saying. You know, it, it, once again, it adds to the mystery, but anyway, I've been rambling for quite a bit now. So back to Joe and Gavin. Like I go to Latin mass mm-hmm. and I'm in this, unbelievable church i don't understand what they're saying they're speaking latin and well, that's kind of cool it's just recognizing the miracle that is birth and i'm just so thankful that i'm here and the infinitesimally small odds that i was created and you don't have to be a religious person to feel that way he almost sounds like richard dawkins there richard dawkins often talks about feeling privileged to even have been alive for a short while given the infinitesimal odds. And I'm just sort of saying, wow, uh, thanks? Do you do the same thing with science? Do you go to like the Hayden Planetarium and do the same thing when you study <laughs> constellations? Sure. Because I, uh, that's... What, you think I think the Earth is flat? I'm glad Gavin doesn't think the world is flat, but there are a scary amount of flat earthers on YouTube. If you ever feel like going down the rabbit hole, just go to YouTube and Google flat Earth. Just saying. Because... No, I Catholicism has always been pretty <laughs> pro-science. What? Catholicism is Galileo. Pretty pro. What the fuck are you talking about? All Galileo, Galileo just kept poking the church until they eventually said, "Fuck off! You're under house arrest." Did Gavin just try to paint Galileo as the bad guy for promoting heliocentrism? They they never really denied that the. The universe oh, revolves around the sun. This is not true at all. They, they fucking put him under house arrest because he was insisting that the earth was not the center of the universe. Right. But he wouldn't shut up about it. And they eventually well, because said, because he was off. right. Yes. He Look, was right. So they locked him up. I want to defend up. the Catholic Church in fucking Please 1502. Don't. Well, but, don't even defend him today. Here, let How me about just, Ratzinger? How okay. about the fact that they own the fucking biggest gay, ba- they own a building that houses the biggest gay bathhouse in Europe? That's quite a claim. But from my cursory research, it appears to be true. Uh, Salon, an article dating back to 2013, the Vatican plays landlord to Europe's biggest gay bathhouse. New York Daily News, Vatican owns building with gay bathhouse. Uh, Patheos, Vatican buys Europe's biggest gay bathhouse. So you would be okay if I was a member of a different Christian religion? I think all religions are ridiculous. I think ideologies are ridiculous. So deity is, you're against deism. You're against I am idea. against... I myself am not necessarily against deism. Uh, I am against man-made organized religions i think even i've talked about this before even victor stinger the really hardcore uh high profile atheist i once heard him say in a in a debate that technically even he's agnostic about the god of deism and many of the founding fathers were deists or deists uh they it pretty much means at least in regard to the deism of the founding fathers they believed that there was 
some vague god who kind of kick-started everything, but didn't really interfere in human affairs. And of course, Thomas Jefferson, as many of the founding fathers who embraced deism were probably a hair's breadth away from being atheists, technically. Thomas Jefferson made the infamous Jefferson Bible, where he basically excised the miracles from the Bible, literally cut them out with with a razor or a knife, and all you were really left with uh, were the life and times and wise sayings of Jesus. But I really agree with Joe that embracing these man-made belief systems that make all sorts of you know, supernatural claims, etc., uh, bad news predetermined patterns of behavior that you subscribe to that are thousands of years old that were written by people who were extremely ignorant to the facts that we know now as to how the universe was formed and how biological life has evolved and all of the work that science has done. That doesn't mean I don't believe in God. It doesn't mean oh, I don't good. believe okay. in the possibility of there being some grand order to this. But... Uh, you know, the idea that the Catholic Church, the guy who dresses like a wizard and sits on a fucking golden throne, and you have to call him father, that that's the guy? That this is, this is the that's thing? Us you trying to to represent that's us trying well, to represent it. That's us trying to... We're doing a really shitty job. I mean, this is, this is... I love that. Gavin's still trying to peddle that. This is us, you know, groping for the transcendent or whatever. And uh, Joe's just keeping it real. Hey, we're doing a shitty job. I think he's kind of making my, reiterating my point. Um, not that I was there when this was being recorded, uh, <laughs> you know, why turn to a man-made belief system with all these bizarre supernatural claims, all these archaic rules and regulations, laws about when people should be stoned to death, etc., to try to answer the mysteries of, of the universe? Why not just wrestle with the mysteries on your own using reason? and logic when you need that mystical hunger satisfied i mean why turn to some stuffy old man-made religion i mean well pop your uh earbuds in listen to some sacred music go hiking like my friend crocoduck uh <laughs> damn look out your window and watch the flowers stirring in the breeze or something you know what i mean um i don't know both if Gavin digs Catholic Church, he digs Catholic Church, whatever. Really, really ancient shit that didn't make any sense back then, and they were it's all they had. But now that we do have science, and we do have so much more knowledge than the people who were writing this shit down in Qumran and fucking animal skins and leaving them in clay pots for people to go over and decipher, this is, it's, it's ridiculous to no, it's not subscribe ridiculous. Look, to look, an ideology. We were talking about that, that uh, enforcer did a double homicide, and you the said... What? The enforcer at the beginning of the show who oh, okay. did a double silent. And you said, we've learned over time, it's been a pattern here with murder, we don't like it. Right. The Bible was an amalgamation of all these f stories where we went, here's some things we've learned. Uh, killing people sucks. Uh, don't do that. Except if you're a witch or an adulterer or if you disrespect your parents um, or if you're gay or if you work on the Sabbath. And things like the golden rule and legal codes, such as the Code of Hammurabi, predate the Bible. Mm -hmm. And it's lasted for 3,000 years. That's longer than catching Don't the wear two different types of cloth. That's really bad. Yes, it's not perfect. There is some weird shit in there. I actually like Gavin's response there. <laughs> and it makes you wonder, you know, is this one of those times when he's trolling or whatever? There's but, a lot of weird shit in there. Guys come back from the dead and they heal. Okay, do you believe that... 
a good definition of infinity is if you had monkeys on a typewriter forever, they would eventually print out the... Oh no, we went from a question about Jesus rising from the dead right into the infinite monkey theorem. <sighs> completed works of Shakespeare. I think that that definition of infinity is, is a very strange one because the idea that you would have these monkeys randomly typing on a typewriter and they would come <laughs> up with the exact, there's no evidence that that's possible. And actually, I was uh, back through the magic of editing. I was looking this up and it's usually worded as uh, the infinite monkey theorem states that a monkey hitting keys at random on a typewriter keyboard for an infinite amount of time will almost surely type a given text such as the complete works of William Shakespeare. And the words almost surely or the phrase almost surely is really important uh, because it, it's a mathematical term. And, and here's what Wikipedia says about it. In probability theory, one says that an event happens almost surely, something abbreviated as AS. If it happens with probability one, in other words, the set of possible exceptions may be non-empty, but it has probability zero. And it says the relevance of the theorem is questionable. The probability of a universe full of monkeys typing a complete work such as Shakespeare's Hamlet is so tiny that the chance of it occurring during a period of time hundreds of thousands of orders of magnitude longer than the age of the universe is extremely low, but technically not zero. There's no evidence that it's possible that a monkey just slamming their fingers onto a keyboard would type out words in perfect grammar with periods and commas and question marks. It, it, oh, could right. it, I can could alter it possibly be? How but, about a computer that is just randomly hitting, randomly printing out keys? It's certainly for possible. infinity. Would it not eventually, in a trillion, 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 trillion years, happen to have printed out the complete works of Shakespeare? It, it could be possible, but I've seen no evidence that it's ever been able to be replicated, even in a simple sentence. Well, you I've can't have evidence. Ev it's infinity. But, but it, it, there's but. We're talking about something like something that's never been replicated, even on the tiniest scale. Yeah, it has been replicated on the tiniest scale. It's called hacking. You keep trying the password, and eventually the computer, after 3,000 tries, cracks your password. Yeah, but they work on complicated algorithms that were created by people. Like, this is not... Well, we're it's a complicated algorithm to have random text punched out on the keyboard. But it's not random. They're, they're testing it. Like when, when you were talking about like a monkey typing on a keyboard, the monkey doesn't understand language. Well, I'm not sure how we're supposed to get from the infinite monkey theorem to proof that Jesus rose from the dead, if that's even what they're, what Gavin was trying to do. Uh, and, and I don't think they ever quite get anywhere with this, uh, with this line of thought. So I'm probably just gonna call it quits. Uh, I'm, I'm already almost an hour in. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I hope I didn't ramble too much. You guys know the drill. You can like the Facebook page, follow the show on Twitter, check out the YouTube channel. Maybe you're doing that now. Uh, if you want to support the show monetarily, you can use the PayPal widget, the bottom of the Podbean page. There's all that alliteration. Or you can go to patreon.com slash theweekendout and support the show for as little as 99 cents a month. All right. Until next week.